with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We have been working through the Gospel of Luke, Luke, but we were taking a break from that this morning. I thought it prudent because the next passage in Luke 11 was Jesus pronouncing woe upon the Pharisees, and so I'm just not a talented enough preacher to preach a Mother's Day sermon from woe, you whitewashed tombs. Just didn't think I could do that, so we are going to Ephesians 3 this morning to a prayer that is recorded here by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Look with me in your copy of God's Word as we start at Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let us pray. We are so grateful, Lord, for your many blessings. Grateful, Lord, for the gifts that you give so lavishly. First and foremost, being your Son. For apart from Jesus Christ, we would not know salvation. We would be dead in our trespasses and sins and headed for an eternity, Lord, separated from you. But you, Lord, have poured out your love And you did so, Lord, in the person of your Son on the cross of Calvary. Lord, as we gather this day, may our hearts and our minds be attuned to you. As we are thankful for our earthly mothers, as we are thankful for our our sisters, our, our wives, our mothers, and so many godly, strong women who pour themselves into us, we are mindful that Christ is the source. And so, Lord, let our eyes be lifted to Him. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You know, our observance of Mother's Day is a valued tradition in our culture. I took the opportunity over these past couple weeks to, to look through different Mother's Day sermons that I've preached over the last decade and a half here as your pastor at Morning View Baptist Church. And remembered each one and even just compared to the messages from the last couple years I could have never predicted the cultural climate that we find ourselves in today I preached to you on on this Mother's Day in 2022 in the midst of a culture that is increasingly even reluctant to define what a woman is And that is strange, brothers and sisters. You know, we are all well aware of how our secular education system and our wider media culture has been subversively undermining biblical ideals of marriage and family for decades. But lately, it is overt and actively hostile. 
At universities today, students are taught that the Judeo-Christian understanding of the family is the authoritarian state in miniature. And, and what that means is to espouse the biblical idea of a family literally is oppressing others. And that's why even many of our current organizations that are operative at this cultural moment believe that it is essential that they destroy the traditional concept of the family. It's essential for political liberation. And it goes even further than that, though. Not only is the family under attack, but gender is something that is being denied. Gender is either something that is non-existent or something that's entirely malleable and fluid. There's no longer just male and female. There's also non-binary, transgender, intersex, gender queer, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender expansive, and gender void, just to name a sampling. I even saw an article this past week in a major publication about a man who is fictosexual, meaning that he is married to a cartoon character. Those who lead the way in this ludicrous moment will no longer, as I already noted, no longer even try to define what a man is or what a woman is. Evidently, to even propose a definition of these terms is an act of sexual identity oppression. And if we can't define what a woman is, then what is a mother? If we can't define what a woman is, then what is a mother? And what is curious in the midst of all this confusion is that modern feminists are silent. And their silence, whether they like it or not, is consent. Which means that modern feminism has effectively committed suicide. If you can't define what a female is, then feminism no longer exists. I, I say this with a note of humor, brothers and sisters, but it's entirely possible that if Jesus does not come back before May of 2023, our society may be celebrating on the second Sunday in May, Birthing Parent Day or Primary Nurturer Day no longer even daring to call it Mother's Day. And this brings us back to a very critical truth. When God is denied, society does not say the same. History has shown us again and again that it becomes aggressively sexualized. And that is what we are seeing in our culture and in our world today. But you know what? This is not a surprise to God. Look in Ephesians 4. Just go to the next chapter in your Bibles. Look at Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 says, and Paul here is, is here speaking of those without Christ. He says, those without Christ, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That describes current American culture. They have denied God and given themselves up to sensuality, given themselves to practice every kind of impurity. Widespread sexual sin and chaos have always been somewhere present in human history. As we, the people of God, continue to worship Christ and proclaim His gospel in this sinful world, it is critical that we, the church, in this moment, in our history, 
be very clear about the source of our identity and the right practice of our faith. And it is those things that we see represented here in this text. And, and this is a little bit of a different kind of Mother's Day sermon. This is going to be more, as we, as we get started here, a sermon about the family. But when I get to my second point, I am going to deal with some very direct applications for our mothers. So let's go ahead and consider first the source of our identity. That's my first point. The source of our identity. Paul says in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named. When we come to Ephesians 3, Paul is explaining God's plan to continue fulfilling his cosmic work of redemption through the apostolic mission, through the ministry of the church. With Christ now returned back to heaven, God's wonderful mystery of salvation is going to continue to be revealed through the apostles in the church. And he says here, as we build to this in Ephesians 2, in the first part of Ephesians 3, that God is going to continue to gather and build Jews and Gentiles together in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. God is continuing to gather his people. He has done so ever since the fall, all the way back in Genesis 3. But now he's more deliberately going to be gathering his people from among the nations, showing forth his glory by establishing the church. And it is for this reason that Paul prays for us, the church, the people in the church, to be fit vessels, strengthened by God for this very important task. Now, that raises the question, are we, are we unfit then? Well, in and of ourselves, we are separated from God by our sin and have no hope for eternity. It is in Christ that we are born again and made new creatures it is in Jesus that we become children of God and co-heirs with Christ. And it is only by the strength and grace of Christ that we are able to be fit vessels for his gospel ministry. And so when Paul bows to the knees, to his knees, before the Father to pray for the body of Christ, he does so in acknowledgement of three very critical truths. First of all is that God is our creator. Every single human being that walks the face of planet Earth that ever has or ever will is made by God. He is the only true self-sufficient being in the universe. That means that God is dependent on nothing outside of himself for his existence or the exercise of his own divine will. He is the source and the sustainer of everything that we are, everything that we know, and everything that we experience. And whether we admit it or not, every single human being does bear that stamp of the Creator. We are made in His image, even those that are sinful. The, the image of God in them is clouded by that sin, corrupted by that sin, but that image of God is still there in every single human being. And therefore, every single human being, we owe our existence to the Father. Not only is God our creator, but God has all authority. That's another reason Paul bows before the Father here. All that God has made, he governs with absolute impunity. No one can thwart his purpose, and no one can accuse him of doing wrong. He is the sovereign judge of the universe. And again, every single human being that has ever walked the face of the earth, or will ever walk the face of the earth, will answer to Almighty God as judge. He condemns sinners who refuse to believe in him to hell. 
And likewise, he knows, elects, calls, saves, sanctifies, and glorifies his people according to his own eternal purposes in the covenant of grace. He is a saving God. Thirdly, so he's creator, he has all authority, and as his image bears, we are wholly dependent upon him. And I've kind of alluded to that already, but I want to state it more, more forthrightly. We are wholly dependent upon God for all of our needs, physical needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, everything we are or need originates with him and we are dependent upon him for these things. And this is why Paul is praying to him. We are called to acknowledge God as our source, to submit to him as our authority, and to reverence him as our judge. But we are also, as his children, commanded to worship him as our father and king. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But in the strength and grace which God supplies to us through Jesus Christ, he gives us wisdom. He gives us strength. He gives us mercy and grace according to our daily need. He is the one who has all those things. He has all power, all wisdom, all control. But he gives lavishly to those who trust in him. And we need his gifts to serve him. Indeed, apart from him, gospel ministry is a lost proposition before the church ever even gets out of the gate. Paul is acknowledging all of that as he bows the knee before the Father. But then in verse 15, he speaks to our identity. God has made us what we are with divine purpose. All other fatherhood in the universe is derived from his fatherhood. He created us male and female. And, and to be clear about this again, our gender is determined irrevocably by our biology. To say that there is no gender or that there are more than two genders is not only a sinful delusion, it's an act of blasphemy against our Creator who made them male and female. The most basic definition then on top of that of a family is a man and a woman in covenant relationship through which they conceive and parent children. God has all authority over the establishment of that. In this sinful world, families can become very broken and reformed in different ways, in manners that even include extended relations. But at heart, when we talk about the family, or maybe what our culture would label the nuclear family, there is always a father and mother and children. And every family on earth derives its name from Almighty God. This literal definition of a family then directly informs our understanding of our spiritual family, which is ultimately the, the subject of Paul's prayer here. God the Father is our Abba. To every believer in Christ, to every church, God is our Abba Father. And the church is also the bride of the eternal bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And so what that means for us as a people of God is that whether we are married or single, whether we're a child or a parent, whether we're young or old, we are one body of spiritual fathers and mothers. We are one body of spiritual brothers and sisters. God above is the source of this new identity, and as those who are adopted by God through Jesus Christ, we bear his name. We are called Christians precisely because we are of Christ. And so this necessarily leads us to a few very important applications. First of all, 
you are part of a family. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of a family. You are never alone. And I know especially maybe for those who are widows or widowers among us, those who are single, those who who desire marriage and God has not yet given you that gift yet, Maybe you just feel alone in a place spiritually. Maybe you're going through some other crisis. You need to understand God has made you His very own child. He has adopted you as His very own. You are never alone. You have closer spiritual bonds than those formed by blood. You have a people in your life that God means to love you and care for you and meet your needs. And so I would say this to you. Walk in the truth of that. Don't wait for a crisis to be what drives you into the arms of your spiritual family. Embrace that gift of the Lord now. It is a gift of His love through Jesus Christ to you. And also understand at the same time how Satan wants to divide you from your spiritual family. Satan wants you to become disgruntled over something in the church. Satan wants you to feel alone and pull away rather than pressing in. Satan wants you to feel like you're alone in your particular struggles and your particular pressures of life. Satan wants to do everything he can to take you away from the people that he means to love you most. But do not forget, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a new name, a new identity, and a new family, a spiritual family that by his grace you will spend eternity with. Secondly, though, this also means each of us has a responsibility. We have a responsibility to attend, to be part of the gathering. We have the responsibility to serve, to love one another as Christ loves us, and to protect one another. This is why in in Hebrews 10, we keep going back to this great truth. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. We are meant to identify publicly every week with this family of faith. We are meant to protect our purity and our witness out of love for the body and love for Christ. And being part of the body means putting the interest of others before yourself. Seeking and loving the unity of this body as one of your greatest priorities in life. We have a responsibility, in other words, to act as members of the family. It is a privilege and a blessing, but it's a blessing that comes with responsibilities on our part that, again, we are strengthened for in Christ our Lord. And that takes us to the third point of application. You have a commission. So each of you is part of a family. You have a responsibility. And likewise, you have a commission. This is another thing we need to understand is that when we're saved, God doesn't immediately, the moment we believe in him, take us up to heaven as if that's all there is. No, he means for us to live for his glory and proclaim his name to other sinners that they might see the transformation in us and behold him. Every one of us has a commission. The church is God's primary source of gospel ministry in this world. Yes, there are parachurch organizations, but in all honesty, as good as so many parachurch organizations, as good as work they do is, a great many of them exist because the church has failed to fill its mission in this world. We are the disciples of Christ. 
We are sent into all the world to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything Jesus has taught us. And because we are in Christ, we are unconquerable. So brothers and sisters, let us go boldly. Let us give freely. Let us pray fervently. Let us make disciples wherever we go. Let us be a people who live as those who actually believe that Christ is our greatest delight and actual goal. Not something we say, merely say, but something we embrace and live for the glory of his name. Christ is our identity. He is ours, we are his, and all that we are is for him. There is no greater joy in this life than living that way. Living that way in our singleness, living that way in our marriages, living that way in our parenting, living that way in our work, living that way in our school. Christ is all in all. That is the greatest delight of the believer's life. That takes me to my second point this morning then. The right practice of our faith. We have the source of our identity, but what is the right practice of our faith? Well, we pick up with verse 16. And this is where Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and by extension, us. He says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we move into these four verses, the content of Paul's prayer reminds us of five very critical spiritual truths. And the first is this. As children of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are strengthened internally through the Holy Spirit. We are strengthened internally through the Holy Spirit. Remember that Paul talks a lot about suffering, and he is even writing this letter to Ephesus while he's imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. He knows better than anyone the strength that every believer needs for life and ministry must come from God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so he prays for the Lord to strengthen the church through the Spirit in their inner being, in their innermost self. We need this prayer, brothers and sisters. Because if left to ourselves, we would shrink back from suffering. We would run from challenges. We would give in to temptation. If we are to live for the glory of our heavenly king, we need the strength of our king. In his strength, we can endure suffering with joy. In his strength, we can resist temptation and be victorious over our besetting sins. In his strength, when we are faced with a tough or costly moral choice, we will be able to obey and walk the path of holiness, all for the honor of Christ. And when it comes to ministering and witnessing, we need his strength to share the gospel and speak the truth in love, regardless of what the world may bring against us. It is his spirit that gives us strength. One of the reasons we burn out in the Christian life is because we're doing it in our strength and not in His. One of the reasons we get so weary on the path of obedience, again, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work life, is because we're doing it from our strength rather than His. 
John 15, 5 says, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. 1 Peter 5, 10 also tells us that the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Depend on him, brothers and sisters. We need his strength. Secondly, the second thing we see in Paul's prayer is that we believe in and are indwelt by the risen Christ. Now, at first, we might think this is a little bit simplistic. and In light of the previous verse, kind of repetitive. Every person who truly believes in Christ has Christ abiding in them. But the language here reveals more. From the moment of our regeneration and conversion, we do have Christ within us. But this is also something we grow in. As we love Christ and live for him and progress in sanctification, Jesus takes fuller and stronger possession of every corner of our lives. I want you to think about, as a good illustration, think about a time that you moved. You know, you packed up everything and you moved into a new house. And as you think about your first couple weeks in that house, you kind of get all the furniture kind of mainly where you want it to go. And you get your, you get your clothes in your drawers and you get your, your cabinets full of your dishes. And maybe you hang one or two major pieces on the walls, right? And at least that just gives you the feeling, okay, we're in. But over time, you know what happens. You begin to hang up more things. And you have more memories, more pictures on the walls. And you bring in other things where every room in the house, it's no longer utilitarian. It's no longer just we're in. But even your personality gets to be reflected in the particulars of each room of that house. In a similar fashion, brothers and sisters, when we are saved, we belong completely to Christ. But we still grow throughout our lives becoming more like him, becoming more conformed to his person as he takes fuller and stronger possession of each room in our hearts, of each part of our lives. We believe in and are indwelt by the risen Christ. Thirdly, we are rooted and grounded in love. As it says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It is God's love for himself and his people that is the basis of our salvation. As Paul said back in Ephesians 1, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with in the Beloved. And Paul here, he expresses this truth by mixing two different metaphors, but he does it on purpose. The first is a botanical metaphor, right? We are rooted. Well, what do roots do? Roots go down into the soil to deliver nutrients to the plant so that it can grow and blossom. And so this word captures the fact that the love of God is what sinks deep and nourishes us for growth in godliness. The second word is an architectural metaphor, grounded, which means to be established on a sure foundation. The love of Christ is that solid foundation upon which, we, upon which the spiritual structure of our lives is built. And as those who are rooted and grounded in love, we then are made vessels of love, of the love of Christ to others. This is 1 John 4, 9-11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That takes me to my fourth point this morning, brothers and sisters. 
we seek to grasp the fullest dimensions of Christ's love. That's the goal of our lives, to grasp the fullest dimensions of Christ's love, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. As those rooted and grounded in love, it is the greatest pursuit of our lives to grasp and comprehend with all the other saints the greatness of Christ's love. But verse 18 seems to contradict the first part of verse 19. It says that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. How do we reconcile these two things? How do we comprehend something that surpasses knowledge? Well, first, we may never comprehend the greatness of Christ's love exhaustively, but we can comprehend it truly. You know, you, you think about it. Many of you ladies in the room, you, you were engaged, and as a sign of wanting to marry you, your, your intended gave you a diamond ring. And a diamond, as small as it may be, and I, the one I put on my wife's finger is incredibly small, but every diamond, every round-cut diamond has 58 different facets. On that little bitty stone that's in my wife's ring, there are 58 different sparkling facets on that one tiny stone. How many facets do you think there are to the love of God? How many brilliant, beautiful, sparkling facets do you think there are to the infinite love of our Savior? We may never know them exhaustively, brothers and sisters, but we can know them truly. Every day is another opportunity to realize and enjoy another facet of the love of our Savior. That is our hope. The psalmist says in Psalm 36, beginning at verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep man and beast. You save, O Lord, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. It takes me to the fifth and final thing we see in this prayer. We aspire to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We aspire to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And here's kind of where Paul's staircase of prayer reaches the top floor, right? Paul is praying here for all believers to be filled up to all the fullness that is in God himself. Now, how can that which is finite contain that which is infinite? Once again, we can't. But we can be full and getting fuller. Now, that may sound strange. You may think to yourself, okay, I have a glass here, Sean, and you know there reaches a point where it, it can only be so full. If I try to fill it past that, it's going to overflow. Well, rather than think of something hard like a glass, I'd rather you think of something more like a balloon. If I take a balloon and blow one breath of air into it to where it's that big, that balloon is full. It is full. But the wonder of a balloon is that I can keep filling it, right? I can keep making it more full. Only unlike a balloon, our spiritual life never pops or reaches its limits. 
God just keeps filling and filling and filling. That's what Paul is referring to here. A progressive filling. God, through Jesus Christ, fills and fills and fills and fills and fills those who are His through His Son. And this experience of His love stretches us. And brothers and sisters, it's happening now as we draw near to Him and love Him. And it will continue to happen for all eternity. By His grace, He will continue to fill and to fill and to fill. And we will never be full of His love. We will just be ever filled by the fullness of our God. I think this is what the hymn writer attempted to, to accomplish in the hymn, The Love of God. You remember the stanza from that song? Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Brothers and sisters, that is the love of Christ that is poured out on us all. And the beauty of this love, the gospel truth of this love, is that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to live each day thinking that, that Christ's love is going to be more poured upon us if we live rightly and obey rightly and live righteously and, and that Christ is somehow going to withhold love from us if we mess up or if we sin or if we have a bad day. No, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the perfect one because we are not and can never be. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus lavishes his love upon those who are his enemies. When you have a bad day, you are not loved any less. Your fellowship with God is affected. But that's our hearts towards Him, not His heart towards us. His love is ever faithful, ever true. And this is where I would want to bring it specifically back to mothers as I close out this morning. Mothers in particular... You face many challenges. I've told you all this before, and I am unashamed to tell you again. As, as hard and as challenging as it is to sometimes be a pastor, my wife has a harder job. Maybe having eight kids has something to do with that. Maybe. Moms, you work hard. And you face challenges where you, there, there, there's concern and worry over your children. There's this constant concern over what you're doing and how that will affect them. And, well, and some days you're worried, well, you know, this is one of those days that's going to put my child in therapy when they're 26. You know, you have those moments. You have days where you wonder if, if you're truly having an effect. You, you see your children who are teenagers and adults making decisions that you really question and you wonder, Lord, I hope they're not the only one at the steering wheel here, Lord. Right? Do you understand, even as we've reflected upon this prayer, that Christ prays this very prayer over you, over all of us? I want you to hear these words, these, these words of this prayer again from the perspective of Christ for you. Think of this being how Jesus prays for you. For this reason, dear child, I bow my knees before my Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of our glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through our spirit in your inner being, so that I may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in my love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know my love which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of our fullness. Christ ever lives to make intercession for those who are His. Mothers, on days of your greatest triumph or on days of your deepest struggles, it is Christ who prays over you. Precious believer in Christ, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You never could. Christ has merited it for you. And He prays over you every single day that you may have His strength. That you may walk in the reality of your risen Savior. That you will be rooted and grounded in His love, embracing and pursuing the greatest dimensions of it. And that you will be filled up to the measure of the very fullness of God. All this is yours in Christ Jesus. Receive it. Be encouraged by it. Walk and know the love of the one who even now shepherds your soul in his truth for the glory of his name. Let us pray. It is indeed our blessing, God, to come to your word to receive, Lord, such refreshing truth from the very fountain of truth, from the very fountain of life, from the very fountain of love. Father, we confess to you that we are frequently doubting ourselves, that we are frequently worried about things that we cannot control nor command. Lord, I think especially of the mothers in this room who give them themselves so much, so freely. Indeed, Lord, where we have mothers and grandmothers of faith, it is perhaps in them that we have seen the closest example of unconditional love. And Lord, we praise you for that. Help us all to walk in the love of Christ, our Savior, our King. Help us to be content in you rested in you, laboring in you, Lord, knowing that you in and of yourself are a delight to our soul. And bless our mothers, O oh God, as they continue daily in the hard work of feeding us, meeting our needs, praying for us, caring for us, all for the glory of Christ our King. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.